Hi everyone, Lola here. We talk about special education again in this episode with the same attorney, Tracy Spencer Walsh. As I've mentioned in the immediate previous episode, this content involves a conversation with a lawyer who specializes in special education law. The airing of this conversation is for informational purposes only, and it is not to be a replacement for legal advice customized to one's own personal circumstances. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 10 of the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. I'm Lola Dada Ali. This podcast episode is a bit of a continuation from the immediate previous episode. Both episodes feature special education, but it is advised to first listen to episode nine before you get to this episode, the final one of our season. So with that in mind, let's get started. Welcome again, Tracy, to the Not Your Mama's Autism podcast. Thank you so very much for being with us yet again today. Oh, thank you, Lola, for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Now, our previous episode focused on generalities surrounding the IDEA and some common pitfalls parents get into when interacting with the special education system in the U.S. In this episode, I'd like to dig a little deeper and talk about older children within the special education space. So with your years of expertise in this in this realm, how can parents work with teachers so that they could better interact as their child ages? So listeners, that's what we have in mind for this next rich discussion. So what would you consider best practices to ensure that an IEP, and for those, I strongly suggest that you listen to the previous episode, an IEP is an individualized education plan. How do we make sure that that IEP actually grows with their children into adolescence? I love the question, Lola, because an IEP is intended to be a living, evolving document. And it is intended to change and grow as the student changes and grows. And it really, of course, it all depends on what we're talking about, what the type of disability we're talking about. But generally speaking, the the plan needs to start bringing the student into the planning as the student gets older, then I'm not saying that the student must attend an IEP meeting. Uh, School districts may, your school district may begin to uh, invite your student to an IEP meeting to be part of the plan. And if you think that's appropriate for your child, by all means, bring your child into the meeting. I would say most parents don't want to bring their child into the meeting You know, again, it it depends on the the, the level of the disability and how that's impacting the student. But, you know, there may be students who would benefit from going to an IEP meeting, being part of that plan and questions, you know, what do you want to do when you graduate from high school or what do you do you want to go to college? Do you want to 
go to work? What is it that you would like to do? What are your interests? And all of those questions should begin to be part of the educational plan so that there is a, an exit strategy for the student and that the student just doesn't graduate suddenly from, from high school and then has to figure out, hmm, now what do I do next? But that should have been part of the planning for the, the last several years during adolescence, maybe building in some part-time work in, a, in an area that the, the student likes. I have a I represent a lot of students with autism and I love them all. And each, and, and you know the saying, you've met one person with autism, you've only met one person with autism. And uh, each person has different interests, just like anybody else would. And some like cooking, some like working in the grocery store. There's And there's just so many opportunities and building that into the IEP program and plan that the student will spend, you know, some time of their day learning how to cook, learning how to cook a meal, learning how to boil an egg, learn how to make a sandwich or whatever it might be. So for the older students or parents with children with uh, a disability, as they get older, you want to make sure that there is this transitional piece that's being worked on. And uh, there are assessments, there's vocational assessments that uh, your child may need and benefit from to see what their their interests are and where they lie. And the school district should be helping in preparing the, the child who will one day exit the program. And, and just so you know, under the federal law, you your child is entitled to IEP services until either they turn 21 or graduate from high school, whichever comes first. So that's just something to keep in mind. There are some cases where children may start off with an IEP and then as they age, perhaps the school administration or the teacher brings up that perhaps they no longer need an IEP. What considerations should parents make in helping that school make that decision or helping themselves make that decision? Yeah, that's a that's a big decision because as we talked about in our in our last interview, Lola, the IEP affords tremendous educational protections to a, a student with a disability, and removing the IEP also means uh, removing those protections. A, a school district may. School district may want to terminate the IEP or exit somebody um, or a student uh, from the IEP so that they can graduate the student at 18, regardless of the, the, where the student is in their education. If, if you, as a parent, are trying to... Listen, if you're clear that your child is going to graduate from high school and your child no longer is really benefiting from the specialized instruction and it has now become more uh, sort of drudgery, then, you know, in a conversation with your child and perhaps any outside professionals that you're working with, it might be completely appropriate for that child to be fully integrated into a general education program. Listen, that's probably what your hope has been all along, 
right? You, you know, the, the hope is that you have this IEP in place during these early school years, hoping to fade back on the services so that eventually your child can just be part of a fully integrated general education program without supportive services. I would say most of the time, though, a student will continue to benefit from some level of individualized educational programming, and it could be a lot less than it used to be. For example, it could just be perhaps a check-in with the school counselor to see how the student is doing, some some light uh, interventions, and that might be that. Listen, that might be the best thing, but you know, some students will require that IEP all the way through their high school education, and and listen, there's a lot of students who are going to need supports when they go into college. And a lot of colleges and universities these days have very, very supportive services in place for students who continue to need accommodations. They're not going to do specialized instruction in college uh, necessarily. That's They're not mandated to do that, but they can't be discriminated against. And they are entitled to um, accommodations. So which could be continued extended time or separate location for for testing, for example. So the goal is for of Congress, by the way, I know I, I talk a lot, Lola, I'm sorry. The goal of Congress was to make sure that students were educated to the maximum extent possible with their neurotypical peers. So that is the goal. But if 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 you believe that your child still needs intervention and just because they have transitioned from elementary school to uh, middle school doesn't mean that they need less. Sometimes they need more because the social demands become so much harder as they age. So just remember, I say this to parents all the time, especially the parents that I represent who have children with autism. Autism does not shut off at three o'clock in the afternoon. It, it continues. And, and, and by the way, autism doesn't shut off when they, they move from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school. Yes, very, very, very true. So the other end of that question would be, if it appears that your child will need a certain type of, you know, high support for the remainder of their time in school and perhaps even after, how can those parents prepare the best they can within the special education system? That's going to uh, take a great deal of commitment because uh, the, the funding piece, it's expensive for school districts to maintain that high level of support. So you will continue to need to be uh, vigilant and proactive and advocate for your child. And if a school district wants to fade back on the support that you, if I had a student a, a few years ago, and this was in Connecticut, and he had a one-to-one aid in uh, elementary school, and he needed it. He needed that one-to-one aid in order to really make progress in his least restrictive environment. We didn't even talk about least restrictive environment yet, but, and, but, and when he went to middle school, they said, oh, you know what? He's now, he's now 12. He doesn't really need that. And it'll be stigmatizing for him. Well, what would be really stigmatizing for him is that he can't function in his school environment because he doesn't have the support that he needs. So you, 
I, I say to you, parents, push back and say, what, what evidence do you have that shows that he no longer needs this level of support? What evaluation and what assessments have you done that demonstrates that he can perform without this level of support? And I would tell you, nine and a half times out of 10, there will be no evidence. It's just a hope and a dream. And if you can come back and have some support that says he or she continues to need this level of support, you're in very good shape. So you brought up LRE, least restrictive environment. So please take it away as to how how that is defined. Yes. And and this is, I'm excited to talk about this because it's really important for parents and professionals to understand this distinction. Yes, school districts are mandated under the IDEA to educate children in their least restrictive environment. All right. And there's a continuum of educational programming. On on one end of the spectrum is your general education classroom with no supportive services. And on the most restrictive side is home or hospital instruction. And then there's this continuum in between those two extremes. So school districts are mandated to educate children within their least restrictive environment. Well, which is, 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 does that mean always mean general education? Of course it doesn't. What's what you must remember is that the primary obligation of a school district under the IDEA is to offer a free appropriate public education. So if you think about FAPE as this big umbrella on, you know, that encompasses everything underneath that umbrella somewhere is LRE. So what, what level of restrictiveness is appropriate for this particular child? So unfortunately, school districts look at these two concepts in isolation when they actually are supposed to be working together. So I have students that I represent who require full-time one-to-one ABA instruction. And I will hear a school district say, well, that's too restrictive. We can't offer that. It's not that's not his least, least, that's not, that's not the least restrictive environment. Well, guess what? It's his least restrictive environment. This child, that is the least restrictive environment. Otherwise he might be in a residential program and that's more restrictive. And listen, a residential program is completely appropriate for some students, but for this student that I'm talking about, it's not, that's his least restrictive environment. For another student that I represent where the flip side, the school district wants to put the student in a self-contained classroom because he or she is behavioral, I would argue, no, that's too restrictive. The child's least restrictive environment is in that general education classroom with the proper levels of support. So it can go either way, but it's really important that you all know that FAPE trumps LRE. A lot of food for thought there. Okay wanted to ask you like along these lines is there general advice our audience would need to know knowing that society focuses so much on children children with disabilities i think as a society personally speaking we kind of forget that just like all other children they grow up right so Knowing all that you've seen from early intervention through aging out of the special education system, what can parents put in their toolkit that allows them to adapt with each new phase that you could advise? Support systems, first of all, 
really, really be on the lookout for parent groups, be part of it, because you will get a lot of rich information from people who have blazed the trail ahead of you and will be supportive of you where you are, particularly wherever you are in this country, listening to this, it's different, it's different everywhere. And every state has different availabilities. I will say that as a, as a country, we have not done a good enough job in supporting families who have adults with disabilities. There aren't enough group homes. Uh, there, there just, there hasn't been a big enough movement to employ adults with disabilities. There, there hasn't been enough work done yet to put the awareness that everybody's been working so hard at in the last 15, 20 years, awareness of autism, awareness of disability, and putting that into practical help. Um, how, how do we help and support adults with disabilities and families who have adults with disabilities? So I encourage parents to really seek out parent groups in your community to help you. That will be your best support as you as you move through the different phases. Certainly, uh, I represent students, uh, families who do privately place their their children. New York City, I say, is is the mecca of special education, and I say that because. We have um, some of the world's best uh, neuropsychologists who can do evaluations and render educational programming advice. And and then we have some of the best private schools in the country. We have a a plethora of uh, specialized private schools in New York City that parents can access. So those parents have the school community support that that's kind of built into that private school world. I'll also say that just know, oh, there, you know, by the way, I don't care where you are in the country, there is this amazing organization called includenyc.org. Go to their website. Lori Podbisker was a guest on my podcast. They are willing to answer questions for families anywhere in the country, even though they're situated in New York City. And they're what their their advice and research that they've done is absolutely phenomenal. And they have a hotline that you can call them and ask for help. And they they will help you locate support wherever you are. So, but you do need support. No, no man is an island. And certainly families with children with disabilities, as they go through each of these phase, phases, need support and information to best advocate for their child. That is so very true. We have multiple episodes on this podcast about community, people who I call hope multipliers and not hope detractors, the importance of that. You brought up an amazing point about zip code and the importance of resources, Um, but the stark reality is there, it, there are certain zip codes that just have way better resources than others. There's a huge unfairness and inequality there. Would you also, of course, generally, generally advise that as parents age and they're trying to determine how to care 
for their adult child who may need higher supports, higher support than others, and they're thinking about moving, would you advise them to research and make sure and not make assumptions that the services they have in state A will be the same services in state B? Yes, and for at any age, by the way, it varies quite a bit, even though, yeah, it varies quite a bit. So yes, definitely do research on that because you want to make sure that you're in the most supportive place according to your situation that you can be. Gracie, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking with you again, Lola. As always, thank you so very much for listening. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, share, and subscribe. For those interested in how this podcast came to be, check out season one of this podcast in its entirety. For those interested in our family's journey in written form, please check out the Caregivers Chronicles on psychcentral.com. We appreciate your support. See you soon. Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast is hosted and written by my mom, Lola Dada Ali, and it's also co-written and produced by me, Fella Ali. My dad, little sister Alero, and I are all occasional contributors. My dad, Tosin Ali, also helps produce sometimes. Big thanks to my aunt, Wolane Williams-Ali, who did our graphic design. See you guys soon.